Well, thank you, Pastor Jason. If you don't have your Bibles open already, as he mentioned, let's open them up to First uh, Chronicles chapter 17. First Chronicles chapter 17 in a message that I've entitled, I Choose to Pray. I Choose to Pray. Can you remember a day when God closed the door on a thing that you thought God wanted you to do? You had a plan, you thought it was God's plan, and then God closed the door on that plan. I can tell you a story of that in our church. When we were looking at uh, planting the church in Newmarket, uh, we had hoped to plant that church with a church planter, would build a core group, and it would all go out from there. And uh, as we moved forward, we didn't have a church planter for that job. You go, well, Mike's there. Well, he's there now. Uh, But the Lord had to bring us to the place of our plan of how that would start, and his plan of how that would roll out was very different. And so we ended up starting that because God God gave us, through much prayer and consideration, um, still the desire to plant the church, but it would be done in a different way, and it was done um, as a campus church from this church at first, and then as uh, we were ready, uh, that transitioned over, Uh, Mike became available, and so thankful for what he's doing, but it wasn't the way that we thought it was going to be. Have you ever uh, found yourself saying these words? I've found myself saying them, and I've been very convicted about it now after studying this text. It's like, I don't even need to pray about that. That is so obvious that I don't even really need to pray about it. It's like voting against prayer, right? And um, um, perhaps this week with the prayer night on Thursday, um, um, you had your schedule all laid out. You had a special family time that was going to happen. And, and then the prayer night comes out. And it's like, well, I guess, of course, we're going to pray. And your wife's like, who's way more spiritual than you are anyways, men. So let's just understand in this illustration. Um, And she goes, yeah, no, we have a thing we're doing, right? It's like, oh my goodness, like what do I do, right? Um, I didn't even need to pray about whether we should do that. I want us to take a look today in David's life at the journey he goes through when he thought God wanted him to do a thing and then God said no, and then the advice that he got from a prophet who didn't bother to pray before he um, kind of laid out what he thought David should do. Um, and then we see David later on in the text in chapter 17 uh, come to the place of he comes before the Lord in all of this and how that works. So if, if you've ever lived in those tensions, um, this message is for you. If you haven't, you probably will someday. And, uh, and I'm glad that you haven't had that experience yet, but just wait you probably will. A few weeks ago on Thanksgiving, we looked at chapter 16, and we saw David's song of Thanksgiving. If you remember, that was after um, uh, the ark had come back to Jerusalem, and he writes this song of Thanksgiving. We looked at a number of things that uh, came out of that. Um, Then we come to chapter 17, and uh, we see this happening in chapter 17, verse 1. Now, when David lived in, in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. So David has moved the ark back to Jerusalem, but there is no temple. And in his heart, David wants to build God a temple. He goes, I live in a house. I have a house. But the ark of God is still in a tent. It shouldn't be like that. Um, I want to build a temple for God. And uh, Nathan says to him, great idea. Go for it. 
Now, the unfortunate part is that Nathan never went before the Lord and spent time praying about it and considering it. It just, how can you argue against, I want to build a temple for God? Um, Now, this man, Nathan, you'll remember later on in David's life, is um, the one who brings the judgment as it relates to Bathsheba and Uriah and all the rest. The same guy. Um, He was a prophet in the land. Uh, But in this context, David um, gives him this great idea, and Nathan's like, that's a wonderful idea. Why don't you do it? Um, Well, the text goes on, and in verse 3, there's this great big oops. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, it is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. Great idea. Not your task. You're not going to do this. Um, And so Nathan has to come and deliver this bad news to David. Now remember, uh, this is David who is the king. Remember the story of Esther when she was going to go before the king? And the fear was if you go before the king and he rejects you, that that could be the end for you. And so Nathan has just told David, yes, you're the one who's going to do it. And now tomorrow, no, you're not the one who's going to do it. And you have to come before the king and deliver that message. But when God spoke to him, he had the courage to go ahead and do that. And he does it uh, very well. Um, And now look at verses four to six. Go and tell my servant, David, thus says the Lord, is not you who will build my house to dwell in. For I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? So David is not going to build the tent. There was more to the story as to why he was not going to build this temple. Uh, You see it if you flip over to uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Uh, verses 6 to 8, just turn a couple pages over. And uh, then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. And so that's the fuller understanding. Now we know why David isn't going to. Solomon is going to. And that even starts to come out um, even in our text. There's this the bad news that you're not going to build the house um, But then there's good news that comes in verses 7 to 15. I'm just going to read them, and then we will dive right into David's prayer. Now, therefore, thus shall shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. This is the message that Nathan now has to deliver to David. Look what God has done in your life. I'm going to take care of you. And I've been with you wherever you have gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and be uh, disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste, uh, shall waste them no more as formerly. From that time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you 
that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. And one of your sons, we now know is Solomon, um, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne, look at this word, forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took it from him who was before you, who is Saul. But I will confirm him in my house, in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And so there's this promise that God gives to David. David, despite all of your disappointment, despite the struggle... Um, The temple will be built. Your son Solomon will build it. But then there's some inkling in this text, some pictures in this text, that what's going to happen through you is going to go on forever, which is interesting because we know that the line of Jesus runs right down through David, and God fulfilled that. And the forever part wasn't just going to be about a temple that was built in Jerusalem. It was going to be that the Son of Man was going to come, and Jesus Christ, through the line of David, would come and be our salvation and our Redeemer. Did David understand all that in 1 Chronicles 17? Uh, Obviously not, but we know it because we know the rest of the story. And so we have this time in his life where David thought he was supposed to do something for God, and then God says no, but God takes care of him. And then that leads us to really what we want to get to today. And I've, I've said it like this, kind of the big idea in my mind is, when I'm overwhelmed in life, I will pray. When I'm overwhelmed in life, I will pray. Or maybe like this, when life makes little sense as far as my plans go, I will pray. When it doesn't make sense to me, I'm not going to be running around to everyone else. I'm going to come before the Lord and I'm going to pray. Now, if you're like me, it's not your first inclination. If you, if you aren't like me, praise God, if your first inclination is to always run to the Lord, always run to the Lord. Um, but that wouldn't have been David's. He would have had his struggles as well. But in this text, we see David do the right thing, and we see him move right towards um, the Lord. When we wanted to plant the church in Newmarket, we had a plan. And God closed the door on the plan. But then God gave us a new opportunity, and God worked. And thankfully, in his working, we have a strong church there, and God is uh, working through it. So that leads us to our text, uh, verses um, 16 to the end of the chapter. So let's stand together. Let's honor God as we read his word and hear this prayer that David prays to the Lord. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far. And this was a small thing in your eyes, O God. You have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come, and I have shown and, and have shown me future generations, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you for honoring your servant, for you know your servant? For your servant's sake, O Lord, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. There is none like you, O Lord, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem 
to be his people, making for yourself a name for great and awesome things and driving out nations before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. And you made your people Israel to be your people forever and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord, let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house be established forever and do as you have spoken. And your name will be established and magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray before you. And now, O Lord, you are God, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now you've been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever. Continue forever before you for it is you, O Lord, who have blessed and it is blessed forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can see through this illustration of Nathan and David how in the midst of life's disappointments, yet your care for us, your promise, you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. And then, then we see David's heart, we see him as he comes before you, as we look at his prayer this morning, Lord. What, what do we need to hear from this? What do I need to learn from this? How will it change me in the way I respond and how I look at you, our awesome God, who is the creator, the sustainer, who is my salvation? So lead us in your word today. Ears to hear, minds, God, to comprehend your word. But Lord, faith to live these things out every day for the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. You can take your seat. Well, just two points in the message today. The first point is the character of the person who prays. We need to take a look at the character of the person who prays. What did David look like? What as he came before the Lord, how did he come before the Lord? Um, before you can truly pray, you must have a right view of yourself. Consider your prayer times and ask yourself, as you see how David comes in his prayer, how do you come to the Lord when you pray? In verse 16, it says, and then David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me um, this far? You know, scripture talks a lot as you go through, you see a lot of um, postures of prayer. One of the postures uh, of prayer is falling flat on your face before the Lord. And you wonder like, well, well, why didn't David in the midst of, why didn't he just come and just, just right on his face? before the Lord. Um, because there are different pro- postures for prayer, and they are all right, and they are all okay. Uh, scripture talks about many of them. Sometimes uh, people would stand when they pray. It's okay to stand uh, when you pray. It's okay to kneel when you pray. I think when you kneel when you pray, you show a, a sense of submission before God, just as you would kneel. They would kneel before the king in submission, right? And so it's okay. It's a good thing. If you don't ever do it, you should. You need to be on your knees before God as you pray. It's, it's okay to do that. It's right to do that. Um, sometimes you lay out uh, prostrate before God. You're just right out flat on your face, crying out to God. We don't know what to do, God, but our eyes are on you, and just, you're on your face before the Lord. Have you ever been in that situation where it's so overwhelming for you, you just lay out on the floor and you cry out to God? That's, that's a posture of prayer. It's a good posture of prayer. Um, 
Another posture around prayer would be uh, praying with your hands raised. Um, lifting your hands as you pray. We often do it when we sing. It's good to do it when you, when you pray. Um, with your head bowed, we see in Scripture illustrations where I won't even lift my eyes to the Lord. I, I'm so humble before him, I'm just keeping my head down. There's all kinds of different ways. Well, in this text, we see it says David came in and he sat. He sat. Um, now, David wasn't in his throne room sitting on the throne thinking about how high and mighty he was. He came in. Don't know if he sat on the floor. Don't know if he sat on a padded chair. Don't know if he sat on a stool. It doesn't say. It just says that he sat. He sat down to pray. I thought about that a little bit. What would, what would that cause you to do? Um, well, when you sit to pray, you have to stop. You have to stop. You stop doing all the things you're doing and and pray. I like to. One of the ways I like to pray is when I'm driving, and um, Sue prays for me when I'm driving that I won't kill anyone or be killed myself, but that's a different story altogether. Um, but when, I, when I'm driving, I like to pray, and when I'm driving down a road, if I know people in that area, I can pray for them and all the rest. It's just a way to pray. It's not a, but you're not stopping. You're going 100 and too much across the 407, and you're praying for people as you go, right? Um, it's okay to do that, but you're not actually stopped. Here, David, everything that was going on in his life comes to a stop. He stopped. He's focused. He's focused on what he's saying to God. He's going to get this right. He's, he's, all this has been going on, the, the plan, the disappointment, the promises, it's all spinning around in his head. And by sitting down and praying, he can focus. He sets aside the other things. When he's not running around and doing other, he's not distractive. Distracted, I mean. He's not distracted by what's going on. It's, it's very active in the sense that he sits down so that he can focus, so that he can actually cry out to God. And so it's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. But it also says, I'm not in a hurry. I'm not in a hurry. So often in uh, Paul Whittingstall's prayer life, it's like, okay, we've got to get this done because we've got four other things we've got to get done. And I'm in a hurry. Um, says David went in and he, he sat. How about you in your prayer times? Do you actually stop? Or is just something that's kind of happening as you're going out the door? Do you take the time? David went before the Lord and he sat. Uh, the next thing it says in the verse, it says, and he said. He said. Um, so he sits down and he talks to God. I love it. There's not a lot of formality to it. There's not a lot of, sometimes I think we as Christians think when we talk to God, there's got to be a lot of these and thous, and you have to say Jesus after like every line, or you have to say, oh Lord, a lot of times or whatever. And, and those are all good things, and he does some of those things. But the reality is it's, he's talking to God. He's just sitting down before the Lord, and they're having a conversation. Lord, here's what's on my mind. Here's what's on my heart. Um, it says, and he said. But there are different ways we can do that when we pray. Sometimes Scripture says we pray, and it's just in groanings. In, in Romans, it talks about in groanings that we don't even understand, and yet, yet before the throne room of God, the Holy Spirit makes it right. So when you're going through that difficult thing, that person who died you weren't expecting to die, or that trauma that happens in your life, and you don't even know what to pray, and, and you're just groaning before the Lord. In heaven, it's clear. Um, we can sing when we pray. Now, that's a good thing to do. Sing your prayers. Um, sometimes you have a song that the Lord is using in your life and sing along with it as your prayer to the Lord. You can sing. David did it a lot. We can be still. 
when we pray. That's, and silent is really what's going on. It's okay to be silent when we pray and allow God to speak to us when we are praying. But here, David speaks. So in the midst of the transition, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the trial, he comes in before God, he sits down, and he speaks. So what did he look like? Not physically what did he look like, but what did his heart look like? And I have two things I want you to see under this point. Two key ideas I want you to grasp about David as he comes before the Lord. The first one is, when you come in prayer, you come as a servant. When you come in prayer, you must come as a servant. Um, Ten times in this text, he says, servant, 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 your servant. Um, Ten times, when, when, a, when a word is repeated ten times in any text, you need to pay attention to it. Right? That just makes sense. I come as your servant. Now remember, David is the king. He is the top dog. There's nobody on top of him in the kingdom. And yet as he comes before God, he understands, God, I am your servant. I am your servant. And so the throne didn't mean anything to him at this point. He was a servant of the Most High God. We see that modeled by Jesus Christ for us um, in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Philippians 2, 7, talking about Jesus, says, But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being formed in the likeness of men. So if you want a model for us to go after here, just look at Jesus Christ and how he came. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And as you come before the Lord God Almighty in prayer, you come as a servant. He is on the throne. You are not. You come to serve him. Jesus demonstrated that in his coming. Jesus demonstrated that when he gets on his knees, takes the towel, and he washes the disciples' feet, and Peter gets all bent out of shape about it. And, um, Jesus came to serve. He understood that. And then Jesus ultimately served by going to a cross that he didn't deserve to pay a price that, that was not caused by him. And so Jesus is our great illustration of a servant, when I come to God in prayer, may I never come thinking I am something and I've got all these rights that I come. The only reason I even can come before the Lord in any way is because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So I come boldly to the Lord, but I come boldly because of what Jesus has done. And so David, as he comes to the Lord, comes before God, he cries out as a servant the other thing that we see about him that's tied to it is you come in humility. You come before the Lord as a servant. You come in humility. Um, being humble is having a proper view of yourself. It's stand, understanding who you are in light of who God is. Um, if you were going to meet with the prime minister, you would come humbly because of his office and because of who he is. And, and that's the way you come. Whether you like him or not, that's the way you come. You come humbly before him. Well, how much more when we come before God that we come humbly before him, especially when we don't know what to do. We come to the Lord with, okay, Lord, I'm coming to you because you are God. You are in heaven. I am not. I come to you humbly. Um, 
A verse I've been using a lot the last few weeks is 1 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. You have to humble yourself to pray. Because prayer is admitting you can't solve the problems you have. Prayer is admitting I can't accomplish what needs to be accomplished. And I know the one who can, and he is God Almighty. And so you come humbly, called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn, that's repentance, from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. You want, you want God to hear your prayers? You come humbly to him understanding who you are in light of how awesome he is. When we preached from Isaiah 6 a few weeks ago, I saw the Lord, right? Holy, holy, holy. What did it cause him to do? He humbled himself flat on his face before the Lord, crying out to God. If you're going to come to God in prayer, you come humbly. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Proverbs eleven two says, when pride come, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. David accepts God's no. You're not going to build the temple. That's not going to be your task. I'm going to take care of you. I've got promises for you, but this is the no. Um, we always want God to say yes to our ideas and our dreams. We always want God to, okay, Lord, here's my plan, so I want you to put your stamp on it. I want you to approve it. I want you to say, okay, I guess that's the way it's going to be. And God's like, in heaven, he prayed it. I guess I'm going to have to do it. And, and, and David accepted God's no and trusted God for something greater. And God did do something greater. God built an amazing, allowed Solomon to build an amazing temple to him. But ultimately, even greater than that, was the line through David to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And learning to say yes to God's no takes us to a place of God being able to do his work in his way in what he wants to accomplish in us. So as God said no to you recently something you thought was your thing, something you thought was the plan. And God said, nope, nope. I've got something better for you. I've got something different for you. You're going to have to trust me in it. Um, maybe it's in a relationship and you are heading into a relationship and God has said, nope, that's not what it's going to be. Uh, maybe it was in a job opportunity and, and then the Lord said, nope. Maybe it was in a move. Maybe it was in the timing of some event. I've been talking with couples here and in other places who are getting married and their plan was, and COVID has just messed the whole thing up. They're still getting married, but it wasn't the way they thought. And, and God says, no, it's not going to be like that. Um, you're going to have to accept it. And, and so David, as he faces these things, he comes before God as a servant and he comes humbly before God, really at the end of the day going, God, I want what you want in my life. When it all runs out at the end, really all I want, God, is what you want for me. God, help us to be like that. God, us to help us to have that kind of an attitude and that kind of a spirit in our lives. So as we look at David, we see the character of the person who prays. But then the greater news is, the second point is, the character of our God who answers our prayer. 
we see the character of our God who answers our prayer. There are a whole bunch of them in this text, and I'm going to just pick them out and um, highlight them as we go along. Um, I found 10. Um, there's probably more. You could have divided it up differently for sure. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time in each one of them. I just want you to see how David saw God in this in light of who he was. Now he looks to see the character of our God who answers our prayer. Uh, look down at uh, verse 19. For your servant's sake, O Lord, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. I wrote this down. God is passionate for us. In his character, God is passionate for us. God God has a heart for you. God's not in heaven going, you want something? No. You think that'd be a good idea? No. Um, God is passionate for you. He has a heart for you. He wants what is right for you. And so as you wrestle through your struggles in life, don't be thinking God's up in there taking away anything you might want. He's he just like, I'm just going to, you want that? You're not having that. God's heart for you is right, and he's passionate for you. But he's not like us. That's the second thing in verse 20. David says, there's none like you. There's none like you. God is so not us. His ways are not us. His desires for us are not us. His passion for us often is different than us because he is in heaven. He is God. He is holy. He is awesome. He is all truth. He is the one who knows it all. And, and so often um, he takes those, those things and he protects us by, by not giving us the things that we want. Um, maybe uh, David was told you're not going to build the temple because of, your, um, because of your, the wars that you've been in, the killing that you've done. And I want a different person to build the temple. I wonder what David would have been like if he had actually built the temple. Would that have led to arrogance and pride in his life? A little bit of sanctified imagination. Scripture doesn't say that. But did God protect him from himself in that? See, God is not like us in any way. Um, God is not like us. God is alone in his character. You see that again in verse 20 as well. There is none like you, O Lord, and there is no God besides you. According to all that we have heard with our ears. God is alone in his character. You know, some people like to say, well, no, you just follow God and I follow God. It's all the same God. It's all the, no, it's not. It's not. There's none like you, God. Your character is alone. I understand why people say that. They're accepting the reality that there is a God. But the God of heaven who we follow, the one who is Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Father, wrapped up in one, is not the same. Um, he is alone in his character. There is no God besides you. Um, in John, um, the scriptures talk about um, that God goes to prepare a place for us. And that um, the, the reality that there's only one way to God through Jesus Christ, right? Um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's no pluralism with God. You just figure which God you want and you'll end up in heaven. Um, David is making it very clear here that um, God is alone in his character. And the false gods and the nations around were not true. This is capital G God that he's talking to. He's alone in his character. Here's a cool thing about him. Look in uh, verse 21. He's a redeeming God. 
And who is like your people, Israel, one nation on earth, whom God went to redeem to be his people? God is a redeeming God. The word means to buy back, to purchase back. We, we see that work in Jesus Christ when, when he came and paid the price we couldn't pay for the sin that was on us, in us from the beginning. And Jesus Christ comes and he redeems us. He pays back what we can't do. He's a redeeming God. He was a redeeming God for Israel and we see that fulfilled in Jesus Christ for us. He is a redeeming God. What a great hope we have because God is our redeemer. He is the one who paid the ransom for us so that we could be set free in Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is receive that redeeming work that was done for us. That again, you hear me say it all the time. We didn't earn it and we don't deserve it, but God has done it and we accept that work and we put our trust in Jesus Christ and he is a redeeming God. And so David, in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his, oh, I thought I was going to get to do this. I guess I'm not. He looked back at the the character of God, and he goes, my God is a redeeming God. He was going to learn a lot more about that as his life went on. He was going to learn about it in his sin that would happen. He was going to learn about it in the struggles with his family. But in the foundation of this, he looked at the character of God. He saw him as a redeeming God. So often God redeems the things that we have done, and we watch and see how he uses them for his glory. He is a redeeming God. Um, verse, uh, the next thing is he's known by his name. Look at verse 21 and 24. And who is like your people Israel, one nation on earth, whom God went to redeem to be his people, making for yourself a name for great and awesome things and driving out nations before your people whom you redeem from Egypt. And then down in verse 24, and your name will be established and magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. Um, God's name shows that he is awesome in verse 21, but in verse 24, he will not be forgotten. It will be established and magnified forever. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You want to know a name that you can't say on the street today? It's Jesus. You can say anything else, but you start talking about Jesus, and that's not going to go well for you. Because his name will be magnified. His name is awesome. If, if it's all so bogus, why are people so worried about it? Because at the name of Jesus, our God has an awesome name. There's so many of them. You could do studies on this forever, but he is known by his name. But he's not out there and untouchable and unreachable for us. Look at verse 22. And you made your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. Um, He is a personal God. The character of our God is he is a personal God. He cares about you. He cares about me. He is a personal God. He became their God. When I trusted Jesus Christ when I was eight years old, he already was God. But he became my father. Jesus Christ was my savior. He is a personal God. We have a personal relationship with him. Because God cares for us. He's passionate for us. He has a a heart 
for us. Um, Here's the seventh thing. His word is enough. Look at verses 23 to 26. And now, O Lord, let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house be established forever and do as you have spoken. And your name will be established and magnified forever, says the Lord. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, um, is Israel's God. And the house of your servant servant will be established before you. For you, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray before you. And now, O Lord, you are God, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. God's word is enough for us. He will do as he says he will do. He has spoken. He is trustworthy. His word is enough. And God has given us everything we need right here, right here. He's given it to us. You gotta be in it. You gotta be reading it. You gotta be seeking to understand it. You have to study to show yourself approved to God. But it's here. It's all here. Everything he needs right here. Um, He's given us his word because that's his character. He meets our every need. We see that again in verse uh, 25. Says, um, For you, are God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray before you. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? In the middle of 2020, you believe it? Uh, maybe the, uh, you're, you're, you're running out of money before you run out of month. Um, and you're wondering how God's going to provide? Um, are you trusting him? Are you being wise? God's not going to bless our foolishness, but are being, we be being wise in what we're doing? But, but my God shall supply all your need, all your need. He just does. Over and over and over and over again in our lives, we've seen how God has provided our need. Um, and that's the character of God. That's who he is. That's what he does. He promises, I'm going to build a house for you and for the next generation. And then, as we've already said, and through David would come the line of Jesus because God's going to provide. He always comes through. He always does. He keeps his promises in verse 26. And now, O Lord, you are God, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. David trusted God. He'd seen God work already, and he believes God. And so he's going to trust him to keep his promises for us. And the last one, he's a God who blesses, verse 27. And now you've been pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For it is you, O Lord, who have blessed. And it is blessed forever. David, obviously, as he's thinking about these things, he's thinking about how God has blessed him, how God has worked in his life, how God has been faithful to him. Do you do that? Do you do that? Do you take time? In in your prayer times, do you take time to think about the blessings and the working of God? It's interesting, as I was reading this prayer, now there are some things he kind of asks for, but he really doesn't, it's not like me. It's like, okay, Lord, here I am. Now there's 25 things I need before I get back in the car and get driving down the road again, right? Um, His prayer's not like that. 
His prayer is like, God, you have blessed me. Look at your character. Look at all these things you've done for me. And he's rejoicing and all that. Are we supposed to ask for things? Of course. Other scriptures talk about that. But I love that in this text, even the things he talks about are the things that God has already revealed. And he's just going to believe them. He's going to trust the Lord. And he knows that God is going to bless him. And he's thankful to God that his son will build the temple. He's thankful to God that he will provide a house for him. He's thankful to God that unknowing that forever, through his line, God will, God will work. When I'm overwhelmed in life, I will pray. When I'm overwhelmed in life, I will pray. I will come with this kind of character before God. I will come humbly. I will come as a servant. But I'm going to come to a God who has all of these things, all of these characteristics in, in who he is. I will come. Well, so what? So what? We receive and we believe based on our humility and servanthood before a God who is awesome in his character. And God does so many things for us. God promises to forgive our sins. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He promises to give us peace. Peace I leave with you, John 14 says. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. God gives us peace. In Philippians 4, 4 to 9, and the peace of God and the God of peace will be with you. He will guide us and teach us. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in a way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He will grow us up and help us to grow. Philippians 1, 6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of, Je- at the day of Jesus Christ. And he will help you in your need. Hebrews four sixteen. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Call to prayer. A call to a focus on who God is. A call to humbly come before him, to trust him and believe. Lord, help us as your church to do that more and more and more as we see the day of Jesus Christ coming. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for this illustration of David's life. We know, God, we know. We've read the rest of the story. We know he wasn't perfect. We know how he failed. And yet we know he was a man after your own heart. And we see in this text when he went through the thing he thought he was going to do and you said no, he still trusted you. Lord, give us wisdom to come humbly to you, to come as servants before you. Not my will, but your will be done. And then rest in the character of our awesome God who believes the best for us, desires the best for us, wants his glory to be seen in our lives, Lord. Do that work in me, God. Do that work in us for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things. Amen.